Introducing the award-list winning podcast. It's the Intellectual Saviors with your hosts, the Pedo. We used to all be so racist. It was great. <laughs> the Ginger Bear. This world belongs to Satan. Fix your existence on Jesus and let God destroy this place. And the Pivot Man. You know what? This is better than touching boys, though. They haven't won any awards, but they've won your hearts. Hello, everybody. Welcome to the Intellectual Saviors. I am one of your hosts, Eric. And I am Michael. Oh, I gotta do this part. And I'm Boggs playing the guitar. I'm actually trying to learn this KK song in the middle of all this because I just found the bass line. God so, damn it. And we are steadfastly nailing it in everybody's heads that you're a pedophile and touch boys. Yeah. All month long with that. <laughs> <laughs> We've moved on from racist to pedophile with him. <laughs> That's right. And actually, now Michael, instead of being the pedophile, is. <laughs> The racist. We reverse roles. <laughs> it was like one of those movies, you know, where the father and son touch the bowl and then they switch. That one with Kirk Cameron, who I tried to get on the show, but he's a pussy and won't come on. Pussy. I said it. No, he's, Kirk he's Cameron, busy. Pussy. He's busy. That's what his PR girl said, but I call bullshit. But we do have one great guest tonight. We have um, actress, comedian, uh, author... The Julia Sweeney. Too. Yep, blog on her site. You can go to juliasweeney.com. All her stuff's on there. She was a delight for me. She uh, was definitely a delight. That was fun. Better than some we've had. <laughs> so I know that we want to get to the interview. You guys are going to perform some uh, this spectacular song that Boggs is... Oh, God, cross your fingers that this goes fucking right. Um, wow. Well, I mean, he's no been... No confidence I, whatsoever. I just... I have... Dude, the dude's a talent. There's no doubt about it. But considering he's only played the song, like, once through all the way, I have my doubts. I do. I am not going to lie. I have some doubts. I think and you're... And also, he, he does... The only history he has with me is literally fucking up on this show. Like, True. Time. No, like, dude, I know you made a gig when I've actually rehearsed shit. <laughs> That's what... Think, he just hears me here. Ah, oh, fuck. This I think if like you have to worry about anything, it'll be the lyrics from me. Yeah, this is... This might be a train... This may be great... Well, there's just one <laughs> spot in it that's kind of... Are we going? <laughs> I don't know. I was just playing stuff. I couldn't tell if we were going or not. So anybody, before they start playing, I'll go ahead and give uh, out wait, the pertinence. He was going for what it. What the fuck are you doing? God, God damn it. Anyway. All right. Horace out. You son of a bitch. Out. Okay, everybody. Make sure you do the typicals. Follow us on the Twitter at the Intel Saviors. <laughs> Facebook, iTunes, Stitcher. We're on all that shit. You dick. One more. One more. One more. Okay. Okay, fucking go. Google us. Yeah, Google, Google us. us. Can we do that? Google yep. us real hard. <laughs> we can actually Google We ourselves? like it when you Google us. <laughs> Fought off thoughts of being tied while bats flow overhead. This closet smirks with creaks and cracks as it sees me shaking scared. And I should know better than to do. Up skeletons. But somehow I found my way to that place where dead bones lay, and they dance with such an elegance like classical ballet. 
And I should know better than to dig up skeletons But here we are With our conversation as far as coat of wire Even though I brushed your hair behind your ears Oh, I can tell you Wishing I would disappear But here we are Staring at our dirty counterparts And I should know Better, but I still don't Made my way through blind and light that ends this revel cave. And with one sharp quip released from my lips, I beckon for this tent. And I should know better than to dance with skeletons. So I grab her wrist as the bones persist to let her off the last remark. With confidence, with once or twice to leave skeletons in the dark And I should know better than to dig up skeletons But here we are With our conversation as far as coats of wire Even though I brush your Not too shabby. Give me a chart. I got it, man. I'm telling you. Not too no, shabby. That's funny. Good job there, sir. Like how I set my mic up today <laughs> on, the, on the inside note. <laughs> I could see it this time. So, you guys want to say who that band was in that song? Yes, give, actually. I do want to talk about that. Give them a little um, promotion, kids. This is Naive Thieves. This is a song called Dead Bones by Naive Thieves. They're on Casey Crescenza's uh, label. Yep. Um, Cave and Canary Goods. Dude, if you, if you go to the Deer Hunters Facebook page, like they have an entire section devoted to them, so... It's really easy to find them, but you can also, I think you can go to naivethieves.com as yep. well. Yep. And I so, think, yeah, and K- Casey talked about him a little bit on the show. He's yeah, real high on them. Really high on them. I mean, they're obviously on his label and he yep. produced the album, so, and did the mixing for him, I think, as well. So, mm-hmm, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. there you go. Good band. I like them. That's excellent. So, I just, uh, one quick note for you guys. <laughs> I I heard on the radio tape. Get ready because we may be getting some audio gold here next year if we're still doing this shit. If we haven't been run off or oh, one yeah. of us hasn't died yet, because um, just so you guys know that Dallas is one of the two finalists to get the Republican National Convention next year. Oh no! Oh yeah, kids, we're gonna be down at Dallas with the uh, recorders talking to a bunch of Tea Party psychos if they get it. It's between us and Cleveland. Who the fuck wants to go to Cleveland? So we've got they'll, this in the back. They'll definitely come here yeah. because of at the location. At least it's not. Detroit. Yeah. That too. 
Uh, no, the, the reason why, too, is because we're kind of in an economic bubble in DFW. So, like, everything's really nice here. Like, there's no way they're going to Cleveland well, for that. Well, all the conservatives could take field trips over to the Bush li- uh, presidential library, too. And, and there's that. See, just jerk off on all the books and yeah, stuff. Yeah, just fucking get their little boners and just... Why, why you got to take it down that road, man? ridiculous um i kind of hope it's here it'll be fun to go down oh there. my god it'll be great i'm so fucking rooting for it oh please bring it here please <laughs> fictional baby jesus bring the republican national convention here because you know there'll be a bunch of those open carry guys outside and there'll be tea party members and oh it'll be such a scene it'll be great so that's something to look forward to but for now though what we have to look forward to, kids, is this wonderful interview with uh, Julia Sweeney. And I just want to say, too, anybody out there, make sure you go to her website, juliasweeney.com. All of her, her books and um, her uh, DVDs and stuff are on there. You can get them. So check that shit out. Check this shit out now. All right, Julia, first of all, I want to thank you for doing this because, um, you know, our little show, we're really <laughs> we appreciate you coming on and doing this with us. Um I kind of wanted to start off, I know you probably get beaten down with um, like SNL questions and everything like that, so there's a couple we'll hit you up with, but I wanted to start right, off more, right. I wanted to start off more after that and kind of start with um, um, your book, God Said Ha, um, uh-huh. because I'm kind of, personally with myself, I've got a lot of family issues now with the cancer and everything, and I know that was a tumultuous time in your life where, um, of course, the book's about you dealing with your brother's uh, terminal cancer and of course then you've got at the same point and I mean it's a the books basically it's I mean you really take a lot of your emotional moments in your life and you put in of course being having the comedy background of course you put you spend it in a humorous way and I was wondering like when you wrote that was it more for like cathartic reasons just to kind of get everything out all the stuff that you'd kind of yeah up? It was absolutely, it wasn't even, I wasn't even thinking of doing it as a show. I was, I was just getting together with some friends on a Sunday night at this place called, well, it was this club, but in the basement, it was the Uncabaret. And it was this club where there was a lot of stand-ups who kind of just told stories that were real and you had to do new material and there couldn't be jokes. And even though I wasn't a stand-up, I just started going and telling my crazy story because so many things were happening to me at the time. So it was absolutely just for the cathartic release of being able to tell my story on stage and get people to laugh and, um, and just feel so much better, like that I wasn't crazy. Like people understood why everything was so chaotic. Yeah. The reason I wrote that is like, I mean, my father passed away cancer a little over a year ago and I've got, uh, it seems like everybody, all my aunts and uncles on my mom's side are fine through it now. And I've got an uncle that's, you know, he's pretty much coming to, you know, he's living out his last few weeks. And, you know, I thought mm. something like this with this book, I think it's because of the way you wrote it. I think it would be, it's a good book for someone to read who, you know, has either experienced someone with, it. and you've covered both sides, of course, because you, you know, you dealt with your brother, you helped him along the way, and then you had to turn around and deal with it on your own accord. So, uh-huh. You know, I felt now when you wrote that, because like I said, you did put a humorous spin on, did you kind of try to write it that way? So someone maybe could read that to, I don't know. It's like, um, you know, you feel like get in touch with that person's emotions and stuff. And, you know, no, no, just didn't. <laughs> no, not in any way. I totally just was 
telling the story as I perceived it at the moment, which already was hysterical to me. I didn't have to try at all to see the humor in it. It was just so there. I mean, cancer is pretty funny. So. I mean, right? <laughs> There's no doubt about that. Um, no, I just, like I said, I wanted to bring that up just because, you know, it's, you, you did do that play and then you went on afterwards. And this is the one that, you know, we're pretty progressive atheists on this show so what we of course wanted to really delve into is um moving on to when you did the, the your play the letting go of god um mm-hmm. because that really i mean that speaks to us i mean that really pulls at our heartstrings we love that i mean and i know you were raised catholic went to catholic schools and i don't know if i heard you say it or i read it somewhere that you even at one point thought about possibly being a nun so oh yeah oh yeah that, I mean, a nun's life was really, to me, the way I saw it is they were sort of feminists. They were women who had chosen not to do the traditional route and were devoted to mostly for helping others or teaching or academia. Like, to me, that was, um, you know, I saw them as feminists. I don't know if everyone feels that way, but for me, that seemed like, you know, you know, as a young girl trying to figure out where I was, where my place was, that seemed like such a attractive place to be as a nun. And um, plus I was a believer, you know, I really believed that, you know, I believed it all too. So, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> now I know that uh, you did the excerpt from Letting Go of God in uh, the TED talk that you had. Yeah, and then I actually I, I I listen to a lot of TED talks, but I don't really go towards like the atheist ones or anything. I always do the the scientific ones and stuff. So right. I never really saw it until I heard uh, you on uh, NPR, which anybody who listens to this show knows that I love NPR to death. Um, uh-huh. And so I was like, oh, I got to check out that that TED talk. And um, I mean, I it was hilarious, and uh, I really liked when you were talking about the uh, the Mormons coming in. And they're asking you questions, and you're kind of questioning the questions, and then they start going into their whole story about, <laughs> you know, how, what they actually believe. And Native Americans were actually from Jerusalem, and all this crazy crap. <laughs> right. Um, and then you brought up a very good point about how the crazy stuff that you believed at that time felt so normal to you because it was just drilled into your head that you know, right. Jesus came from a virgin. God inseminated right. this virgin from somewhere up in the sky. Who knows right. how that happened? Uh, but, you know, it's just there was no question there. It's just, yeah, that's that's exactly how it happened. That's normal, right? But there's no way that Native Americans could be Jerusalem. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I well, now it's funny because I, you know, as I get older, my feeling about it evolves. But um, I mean, not to believe again, that will never happen. But um but now I just feel like the biggest mistake that believers make is the believing part because all the rest <laughs> of it is interesting. I mean, like I just well, yesterday spent the day at the art Institute here in Chicago and so much of the art of course is about mythological stories. And I don't believe that those, you know, Romans were going around thinking this, it wasn't important that it really, really happened. There was a, there was just a terrible moment when religion decided that you had to believe it as true, and that became this huge value, when it really should have been, 
here's some interesting stories from our culture. These are the stories that our ancestors learned. This is the stories they got meaning from. These are the stories that they reinterpreted over the years and and they were entertained by and they found meaning from and they were moved by them. That's all it should be. Like, because, you know, like, yeah, like God inseminated a virgin. It's so, it's exactly like any mythological story that the Mormons tell or anyone or any pagan or any Buddhist or anything. It the, the weird part is that they insist you actually believe it. I mean, that's the part that is weird. <laughs> yeah, but the stories themselves are great. I mean, like, I feel like I'm an artist. I like to think of myself as an artist. Those stories are really profound. They're really interesting. They're really, you know, they really stimulate your imagination. And they, there's so many ways you can riff on them in your mind and they can have such power. But insisting people believe they're true is almost to miss the point entirely. And into some way, in some ways, to take their power, the power of the stories away from them. You know, like if you say the story of the boy who cried wolf, if you spend all your time talking about how that really happened, that's missing the point of the story of the boy who cried wolf. The boy who cried wolf is a good story. You should just take it as a story. That's a good point. Very, very true. Um, and they themselves even squabble about what is true within their own religion. Um, there's... Oh, just think of all the people who've died over the years over arguing about whether, you know, the host at Mass is actually the body and blood of Jesus Christ or not. I mean, like, it's just pathetic. It's really sad. I mean, to just think people would argue about the truth of it. It's like, it's weird because it's almost like they don't value truth enough to reject their stories. And then they high it, they hold truth in too high of esteem when it comes to narrative, you know what I mean? Like they're missing it on both ends. <laughs> it's like, it doesn't matter if it's true. And also truth matters, you know, like, <laughs> you know, like, <laughs> and, and so it's just, it's just astonishing to me. It's really this big, sad puddle of people missing the entire point. <laughs> That's a new bumper sticker for religious people. Just a sad puddle of people missing the point. <laughs> but it is. It's really. Oh God. Well. Can we anyway. patent that? Let's patent. Yeah. That. <laughs> I'm sorry if we take that from you, but. That is sure. Go ahead. We're in Texas. It won't sell anyway. No doubt. <laughs> I, I did like the fact that you know when you started talking about how you got on this road to enlightenment, I guess, so to speak. Um, you know, is when you started doing like Bible study as an adult and you actually started reading the Bible, which we preach all the time. Like if people would actually read that book and try to I know. understand well, the that's passage. why. I mean, I get in arguments with other atheists about this, but I really think the Bible should be required re reading in public schools. But it needs to be taught by a historian, not by a believer. And that's the problem, probably. But I really think... That's another thing where they're kind of giving and taking away all at the same time because they're saying the Bible's so important, but you don't really have to read it. Don't pay too much attention to it. Like, don't sit down and read it critically. Just kind of remember the stories and, you know, the, the lessons we've told you you should be deriving from the stories. You know, like, and so, like, to sit down as an adult and really just read it on face value 
It's actually an astonishing document, in some ways ridiculous, but in some ways really beautiful and this beautiful compendium of stories that people, I mean, like now, because I feel like I'm a storyteller, not just, you know, stories of my life, but I'm also writing fiction now. To me, it's really moving that there's this book of stories that kind of kept people together for years and years and years, you know, like these are their stories and here's a book with all their stories. And that's really beautiful. But to sit as an adult and read it like you're supposed to think it's true. I mean, oh, my God. Yeah, definitely. Yeah. And as a historical document, definitely. I hear what you're saying, but you're right. And I love how you go through it and you point out the inaccuracies. And kind of going back to what you are saying about teaching the Bible, we've kind of discussed that before uh, with uh-huh. people about the – but it's like you said, it's almost impossible to do it with the teachers, but we, we've we heard the um, study where it's like, why don't you do comparative, you know, where they teach all the religion side by side so you can kind of get a taste of all the crazy to kind of turn people. Right. And, you know, that's one thing I liked also that you talked about was even when you got to the point where you were, I guess you're really straying from the belief you went out and tried to maintain a belief in God by trying like Buddhism and new age you know, right. I, I did love the fact that it's like you, you didn't give up on it. Like you were just trying to find like another way to believe still. So I, I respect that. I mean, that's, that takes a lot more like with yeah, me. I mean, I was used to believing it was comfortable for me to believe. And I, so it was very, um, it was upsetting and difficult for me to think of giving it up altogether. I just thought I would adjust my belief system, but of course, as you know, ultimately I had to give it up, but because there was just no everything. Once you once you start seeing through it, you really see through it. The whole thing, the whole package, all of them. Yeah, I think my favorite was when you said after you'd kind of gone through like your journey through your different you know religions. You said you kind of went back to trying to learn critical thinking again because you'd never really used that, and then the science as well. And that's when it it seemed like it finally just clicked. It's like this is a pursuit that's not worth pursuing anymore. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I I mean to me that's the biggest harm that religion does is it sort of it dulls people's critical thinking senses you know like and it's not like people don't have good critical thinking skills but they learn to not apply it to their religion so the same skills they would use in buying a used car for example they won't apply to the religion that they're in and that's really too bad (laughs) we see that a lot here and i mean i guess another now where in texas are you we are in right in the middle of the dallas fort worth area we're right Uh in the heart of the best part of texas (laughs) right where they have all those open carry gun rallies at if you've seen those on tv yeah oh my god (laughs) so we're in we're right in the middle of the good stuff um but you know kind of speaking of texas though when we were talking about that is we see that a lot in the political system here because like um on the conservative side with our legislation they've tried to remove critical thinking that was like in the republican platform a couple of years ago to take critical <laughs> thinking out but they want to put more you know religion into it so oh like, my gosh they do go hand in hand somewhat yeah yeah <laughs> i know um kind of moving on a little bit from that because like i said i don't want to hold you up too much so we'll kind of move this on a little bit um i have to bring up one thing um now of course you did a stint while you look at me do you have nothing you, you no. want to say go something ahead. go ahead 
go ahead, jump in if you want to say no, something. No, it's all you. Go. Oh, my God. <laughs> so, um, no, but you, um, of course, have done a lot of movies and TV and stuff, but you had um, a part in Pulp Fiction. and um, Oh, yes. Which, of course, is, I think is one of Eric's top ten movies, if yep. I'm not mistaken. Love there that we, movie. There we go. So, you should be happy about that, Julia. Um, the reason I kind of brought that up is, um, I mean, they may want to ask you another question about the part in particular, but... Of course, that's a Tarantino flick. I mean, that's the one that had to put him on the map. And then right. I noticed that he also, he produced the Letting Go of God when they put it on Showtime. He did the production on that, so. Well, on God Said Ha, he did. Oh, on God Said Ha. Okay, I'm sorry. Yeah, he gave me a quote for Letting Go of God, which he loved, but he um, produced God Said Ha, yeah. Okay, I'm mistaken on that. Sorry about that. It's <laughs> my poor research right there. <laughs> no, that's all right. No, I just wondered because... So, and the reason I want to bring that too is because then you did the movie, the It's Pat movie, and I read this online. So here's where you get a chance to debunk some um, nonsense online. But I, okay. I read that he helped write part of the drafts of one of the screenplays or script. Oh, yeah, he did. Okay. <laughs> I, I read that and I was like, what? <laughs> it seemed kind I of... know it. I think people can't believe it. But um, yeah, he wrote a draft. I wrote it with him. That's awesome. We, we worked on it for about a month and... Um, it changed so much and so many things happened by the time it was shot. But yeah, there's a Quentin draft of its Pat. Okay. Is he really <laughs> nice in person? Yes. Very, very nice. Yes. Well, she's only worked <laughs> with him a handful of times. I'm sure she'd, I'm sure she'd I at mean, least have I, one and incident. I really and was like, Oh, he's a dick. I don't have contact with him now, but he was, a, he's a real delight. And, um, really some of the happiest times of my life have been with him. So that's, he's very important to me. Do you guys want to jump in here? I just wanted to make sure he was nice in person. That's, that's pretty much all I mean. <laughs> he seems great. He seems a little crazy, but he seems great, though. Yes. So I, I went to your website today um, and was kind of just searching around, and I saw that you know you, you put on there yourself that uh, the Pat movie was kind of a bust in the box office. Yes. Uh, but you still felt like it was a win for you. So I was just curious as to uh, what you meant by that. Well, um... I really don't think it's as terrible as everyone thinks, but I, you know, of course I'm biased on, and so I don't know, it's a subjective opinion. I think it's, I think it's funny. Um, and it was a, just such a huge learning experience for me. I'd never been part of a movie made by a studio. It was just, it was really, I just, you know, like the whole experience was so great. And I worked with so many funny people and it was just really, it was good experience so for me it was great it was it didn't make any money for disney but well <laughs> they got what can enough. i say they don't need yes more. but i mean i guess that was your baby i mean that's your character you wrote it and so yeah yeah of course <laughs> but um i i guess uh like i said i hate to beat you down but we have to kind of go into a little bit um i wanted to ask you with the whole saturday night live thing and stuff because I know I read that um, originally when you moved out uh, to LA, it wasn't to you know try and become famous actors or anything, um, but you did get involved in comedy and you were um, involved with the Groundlings. Is that yes, correct? Yes, the Groundling Theater. Yeah, and then, that's sort of like yeah, an improv theater in Los Angeles. And um, so, is that where you were discovered by Lauren Michaels? Because I assume he yeah. does all the talent search himself. 
Yeah, I mean, well, he's the final person who comes and decides. They have all kinds of people under him that come. It seemed like it was a whole year of every week a slightly more important person up the ladder towards Lauren was coming to watch people at the Groundlings. But eventually I was able to audition for him, and um, and a lot of people had come from the Groundlings and gotten on Saturday Night Live. So um, it was a place where they found people. And I had friends on the show, Phil Hartman and John Lovitz and Lorraine Newman. There was a lot of people, and then a lot of people after me from the Groundlings were on the show too. So, yeah. Um, I just have to go out there and do my little uh... – starstruck moment but you are definitely part of my personal favorite snl cast ever um and i really think that there's never been one better since for sure um (laughs) not not to dog the the new snl casts too much but i mean i when you go through all the names including yourself it's just it's incredible that all that talent well, got together. I feel like there's been there was some good times afterwards. I think, but to be honest, I didn't really watch the show that much after I left. <laughs> I, well, so I can't really judge. I mean, I I would go online and watch Tina Fey's sketches or Amy Poehler or Anna Gasteyer, but I didn't personally watch it every Saturday night. I I was kind of just sick of sketch comedy when I left. So oh, I so bet. I can't judge. But thank you. Thank you for saying that. Although I'm not sure it's true. <laughs> it, no, it's it's definitely true. It is. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, I know a lot of people are nostalgic for like the initial cast and everything, and they were good. But you guys were definitely. I mean, like you said, Phil Hartman, Mike Myers, Kevin Nealon, Dana Carter. I mean, that's that was the tops cast. I mean, you. <laughs> it was a good cast. It was a good cast. You know, and one thing about it too is. You know, over the years, like, you've had all the different people on, and they have, like, the different characters. Like, you know, of course, Mike Myers had, like, his Wayne's World character, and Dana Carvey had the church lady. But you had one of those iconic characters, too, with Pat, though. Yeah, it's true. I actually am really proud of that. As I get older, I get more proud of it. At the time, I just thought, oh, I feel like I had other characters that might have been as popular as Pat. But, um, But now that it's, you know, a long time has passed, 20 years, I feel like... I guess it's fun. Like that's that's probably the only thing that I'll ever do that will really hit popular culture, like mainstream popular culture. So I feel happy about that. <laughs> that is true because I mean, like you said, twenty years ago, but people still know it. It's like if I mention your name, some people won't know your name immediately. But if I'm like, you know, she did the Pat character on Saturday Night Live, everybody's like, oh my god, yes. I mean, it's just <laughs> like right off the bat. Um, Aww. Now. I was wondering, like, with those characters, do you develop those characters yourself and then just kind of go to Lauren or the staff and say, hey, this is something I've developed or work on, you know? Well, when I auditioned, I did Pat for my audition. Okay. So pretty quickly I did a sketch. Um, I actually did a sketch, a Pat sketch. It was the last sketch in the show with Kevin Nealon. It was just the last sketch. It wasn't even – and that's, like, the worst spot, by the way. So it was not – you know, I just thought I'd do it once and that would be it. But people liked it, so I kept doing it. But he he would, um, yeah, he would say, like, he'd bring you in his office and say, it's time for another Pat sketch. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) I guess that's a good thing, though. I guess so. It's supposed to be like. What's funny is, you know, it was such a big thing. But over the four years I was there, there were only about 12 Pat sketches altogether. God, man, it seemed like, I don't know. Isn't that amazing? Yeah. I mean, like, you think. I remember someone telling me that when I got on the show saying, 
well, you know, they were talking about the original cast, but they'd say, you know, like cheeseburger, 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 for example. Mm-hmm. Everyone knows what that is. Yeah. But there was really only, you know, seven sketches that they did. And I go, what? Because it just seems like it was on every week, you know, like for years. Um, but with but and then I realized, no, it isn't. It's actually very few. So, yeah, with Pat, it was only 12 sketches over four years. Yeah. You know, um, another thing, like you were on there at a time when they had um, a couple moments that are kind of, I don't know, if maybe infamous moments, um, like the one where, I, I think, I'm pretty sure you were on there for this one where Martin Lawrence had his um, monologue about the uh, female hygiene and stuff. They got cut. That's kind of an infamous Oh, no, one. I was not on there then, oh, you but were... I heard about it. Yeah, no, I wasn't. Okay, now, <laughs> this is the one that I... I I, hope I thought on. you were going to talk about Sinead O'Connor. That's what I was going. <laughs> that, that's exactly where I was going next. And the reason is because I figure at that time you were still very Catholic at that time. I, I imagine. Yes, except that I, you know, like I, the thing is, people because I became an atheist and I did letting go of God, even though I tried really hard in letting go of God to not say, like I was a believer, but I also had a, it wasn't like I didn't have a sense of humor, and yeah. it's not like I didn't have some critical thinking. I I understood why Sinead O'Connor was mad at the Pope. And I did not, I wasn't against her at all. I, I mean, I mean, like, I guess I'm saying I was a Catholic, but I wasn't, a, you know, stick up my butt Catholic. I was like, like the Catholics I know still that are still part of the church, they're also critical of the church and they're open to people doing things. So that's how, that's where I was then. So when Sinead O'Connor did that, I wasn't upset myself at all. In fact, I didn't think it would get that much attention because I was actually standing next to Lauren when she pulled out, cause she'd done the rehearsal. Mm-hmm. And then when she was on live, she pulled out the picture of the Pope and ripped it up. And, and then I, and Lauren and I were standing next to each other in the hallway near the, the table that has all the food on it, the snacks and stuff. And we were looking at a monitor and he was looking at it and I was looking at it and he went, "Uh uh-huh. And then he just turned and walked into the control booth. And like, he understood a big thing had happened. And I, I was still standing there going, Oh, she tore up a picture of the Pope. And then even the next day when I was walking to work on the cover of the New York post was Sinead O'Connor tearing up the picture of the Pope on the front page. And I couldn't believe that was on the front page. Like, I still didn't think it was a big deal. <laughs> yeah, like I still was thinking, "Oh, come on, that's not a big deal." No, I well, that, that's how humanity works. You know, twelve thousand kids die a day from starvation, but somebody tears up a picture of the Pope. It's front page news. Right. Well, like I mean, it just shows you how smart she was because she understood that. I wouldn't have understood that, but I didn't. I wasn't upset at her for doing it. I, I thought, yeah, I, I agreed with her. Yeah, <laughs> I was just wondering because because <laughs> I knew you were Catholic and then from what I had read about that incident is like afterwards, you know, like at the end of the show, like none of the cast members wanted to stand there or anything when they're doing the closing credits and stuff. <laughs> and <laughs> I was just like distance, distance, you know, but just <laughs> run for cover because they could just see the S storm coming, you know. That's pretty funny. Yeah, I think I would put myself in the totally oblivious column on that one. <laughs> <laughs> So is there any like highlight moments from the show that or back scene stuff that nobody knows about that you could share with us? <laughs> we need this. Oh, we gotta God, get... not that I can think of. Oh, I, I really can't. One I... juicy story from you. Um, when you can tell I us. No, nobody will ever hear it, believe me. God, it's like, you know, the thing is, I used to know all these stories, and then I talked about them, and then I just stopped, and they've really gone out of my head. Um, 
And there's a lot of things about stars that nobody even knows about anymore or talks about. And also, you have to understand, the stars, you know, it was an incredible experience where every week you worked with a major star. But they're on their best behavior. You know, like people go, oh, well, so-and-so's known to be terrible. Well, not on SNL because they're in your hands. They want to be your friend. If Even if they tend to be a jerk, they're not going to be a jerk on the week they're on SNL. Now, there were some exceptions, um, like, oh, oh, my God, see my brain. Steven Seagal. Uh, Steven Seagal is really out of his mind. <laughs> and he was really a jerk. Like, he, they did a Hans and Franz sketch, and he, they said they could beat up Steven Seagal, and he locked himself in his dressing room and wouldn't come out until they rewrote the sketch to say he could beat up... Hans and Franz, two made-up characters. Wow. So, like, that's a crazy person. Like, that's a real <laughs> crazy person. Um, Genius. But in general, I would say out of four years, there's very few stories like that. Very, very few. Because the the stars want you to like them because they know it's in your hands whether they look good or not. Gotcha. So, you know, we got to see all these stars, but we got to see them on their best behavior. So there really weren't that many stories. You know, like, you really had to be completely, completely nuts like Steven Seagal to have a good story. <laughs> That's hilarious. <laughs> well, I was wondering, since you only did a four-year run on there, how come um, after four? Because I know it wasn't like, I know they moved people in and out. Lauren doesn't have a problem firing people, it seems like, from what I've read. But, I mean, you left on your own volition. Was it just, you were just Yeah, I mean, when I look back, part of me feels like I shouldn't have done that. I... But then part of me feels like I was it was the right time. Um, I had another year on my contract, but it wasn't open that if you wanted to. I mean, they're, 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 basically their attitude was, we're so great. You should feel so lucky to be on the show that if you want to leave, you should just leave. It's only your loss to leave, basically. But I hadn't been they had sort of shut me out a little bit. Like the last year I was on the show, I was in very few sketches where I was the driving comedic force of the sketch. Um, not like I had to be the star of the sketch, but in any way, part of the comedy of the sketch I'm saying. And I'm not really sure why that was part of it. I don't even know why it was. Maybe I had lost my edge. Maybe I had lost my mojo or maybe I don't know what, but I just wasn't, I was just getting shut out and I was losing interest in it too. Um, my best friend on the show who I'd written every single sketch with left the last year because she went to LA to write on sitcoms. So I was sort of rudderless on the show and, um, and it just felt weird to stay. Like, I just felt like, like if I stayed, they'd be letting me go a year later after another miserable year. So why even go through it? Just leave. Gotcha. So yeah, I left a year early. And sometimes I look back, like actually just today, I was talking to Tim Meadows who did the show for like 10 years and he had many years where he wasn't doing that much, but he stayed. And um, I don't know. I'm not sure if it was the right decision to, to leave or not. Maybe I should have stayed. But anyway, I left and that's how it went. <laughs> All right, Julie. Well, I know uh, we talked to you beforehand and stuff. We didn't want to keep it too long, and we're about at that point. Okay. But um, I just one quick question. I just want to ask. I just beat you down with this real fast because yeah. I thought about this when I was kind of going over stuff. Um, 
I've, I've heard this before with actors in Hollywood and stuff where they'll say like they're conservative and they have trouble getting roles because everybody knows they're conservative or something, which that me, that's a little ridiculous. But I was wondering like, um, since you kind of came out, you know, um, against religion, I guess, so to speak, have you ever, have you noticed like going for roles or anything that maybe that's ever hindered you a little bit? No, I mean, if anything, I got roles from it, frankly. Um, yes, yes. <laughs> left, left Hollywood, the left coast. I love it. Um, I would say most of the people I respect in Hollywood, first of all, most of my friends in Hollywood were not upset by the fact that I was atheist. They were upset by the fact that I had ever been religious and they didn't know about it. (laughs) So they came to the show and be like, oh my God, I'm so shocked. I never knew you believed in God. When I knew you, you believed in God? Oh my God. Like that. (laughs) So it was kind of like... In L.A., I was actually confessing that I had been a believer. <laughs> um, <laughs> but, um, uh, no, but you know what? I did have, well, I don't know if you call it discrimination. It's just a, whatever. It, but I did, it, I, I used to do, when I did Letting, not Letting Go of God, when I did God Said Ha, and I did the whole thing about cancer, um, I started doing a lot of personal appearance for healthcare conventions. And it was really lucrative. I mean, they would pay a lot of money for me to come and do like 30 minutes of my show for the convention, which, by the way, was a fantastic service because those conventions are dreary and sad and it's all about cancer. And I could come and tell funny stories to them for an hour, you know, like an hour, whatever they hired me for. And there was a couple of years where, you know, I kind of got on the conference circuit you know i became a big name in the speak speaking agency circuit for healthcare conferences and it was actually really fun you know i was really interested in it i usually listened to more of the lectures than just doing my performance because i was interested in the science of it but when i came out as an atheist that all came to a dead stop because i i don't even think the people cared whether i was atheist i wasn't going to talk about being an atheist but the people who booked the conventions didn't want an atheist. They, it was just clear that they were, it's, it's just like, to me, censorship is never as bad as self-censorship. And it was this self-censorship among the bookers to not want somebody who they didn't think was conventional because in their minds, cancer included Hope, hope and hope automatically stuff, yep. meant you believed in God. Like so, and even though I never talked about God in my performances when I did the healthcare stuff, the fact that I was a known atheist nixed me from those jobs. Now the fortunate thing was I didn't need those jobs, and I was ready to quit anyway. I didn't even. In fact, it's taken me years to realize that I was actually being nixed for those jobs because I was also rejecting the jobs because I was tired of doing it and I was moving on to other things. But when somebody asked me that, like, have you been discriminated against? I used to say, no, not at all, completely not. But now when I look back on it, I realize that there were many times where people were interested in me and interested in me. And then the agent would say, oh, well, then they found out that you did letting go of God and now they're not interested anymore. Yep. And it, it, which is so funny, isn't it? Like, that you can't, in their minds, you couldn't be a speaker about cancer and not believe in God, which is such a ridiculous trope. I think it gets deeper than that. I think they feel like you probably don't have morals at all. 
Like you're just an immoral woman because you don't have God I in know. your life. Well, well, that is even more ridiculous. Uh, oh, yes, but it is. Because <clears throat> the worst offenders in morality are the, I mean, because to me, it's all a big con. And if you're not acknowledging that it's a con, that means you're conning yourself. And those people are the least trustworthy people. Well, anyway, <laughs> in my opinion, anyway. <laughs> I need a beer now. Yeah, we'll definitely do that. I know Julia wants to get going because she's she wants to go. All right, I have to go see my husband. See your husband. You just got him from work. I have to see what his day was like. Well, Julia, it's been a pleasure, and we really appreciate you taking the time. Oh, to sure, no this. problem. You're one of our favorite atheists. <laughs> yes, thank oh, you very you're much. So sweet. All right, well, thanks a lot, and I'll talk to you guys next time. All right, take care, Julia. Bye bye. Bye bye. And we're back from that wonderful interview. Thank you very much again, Julia Schwene. Thanks for coming on the show. Schwene. Doing your thing, being an atheist and all. It's pretty awesome. Getting discriminated against. Another good... Being told, you don't have hope. Another good heathen. So I didn't bring this up when she was on because she did have to go and I didn't want to be creepy or anything, but I was going to debate whether I should tell her that when I was... um, Because I was high school age when she was on. Uh, in the early 90s stuff, so I was that teen and stuff, and I remember her being on stuff, and I kind of had a little thing for her. Oh. But then, you know what ruined it when she started doing the Pat character? Because oh. then I could only see, <laughs> see the, Pat. the fucking Pat. <laughs> and I was like, oh, thanks, Julie, you ruined that one for me. <laughs> so, I didn't think I should bring that up, though. I thought that might be a terrible way to end the interview. By the way... <laughs> Let me tell you what I used to do. <laughs> no, I don't. Not that. I'm just, uh, you know. Yeah, I'm sure that's. Uh-huh. I'm sure that's not what you meant, uh-huh. Michael. So, I know that we don't have really anything to talk about because we're the worst show ever. Whoa, I disagree. Well, no. No, okay, we got yeah. stuff. I I did want to go over a couple of things. I was telling the boys. Um, of course, it's that time of year with the Supreme Court. They heard all their cases back in the spring, and now they're starting to come out and, um, you know, give their fucking you know decisions on them from the i don't know i i just don't have any faith in the supreme court especially after like the civil rights act and the <sighs> citizens united stuff so I'm, yeah. I'm always a little scared um here's a couple of the cases you guys kind of go over these we'll make our you know guesstimates on how they're gonna roll but um one of them that they saw is um about buffer zones at women's clinics it's uh, McCullen versus Coakley, which is a Massachusetts law that requires pro- protesters and people um, to stand at least 35 feet away from the entrances of like these clinics and stuff. And um, they're going after them to try and overturn the law because they say it's against you know the First Amendment rights and freedom of speech and stuff. Um, they, so they basically, they should be able to stand in the fucking doorway, I guess, and cross-check them into the fucking boards when they try and get into the clinic. I don't understand that, but... I would think it's private property, so if they don't want the fucking people on it, they would. They should be allowed to kick them you'd off. You think, but I don't know. But they said that kind of watch out for it because even, um, of course, the conservative justices all by their questioning seem that they're going to overrule the the law. And they said that even um, Elena Kagan, who was an Obama appointee, sounded like she was kind of leaning towards that. So It's disgusting to think that a woman would overturn it. Just remember, there's a lot of details to that shit that you're not told to. Like, there's there's a lot of things that I'm yeah. sure they'll be like, okay, look, I overturned this because of small details like this, and they need to rewrite it. Or that, but, you know what I'm saying? See, like, here's the thing, though. The Supreme Court doesn't do that. They just say, well, it it does violate uh, your First Amendment rights, so we just get rid of it. 
And then it's just a free-for-all until we make up something new. Mm-hmm. It's not a, hey, come up with a revision, and then we'll revoke this and put the new one in. It's just, oh, revoked. Yeah. Like, they don't, they well, don't come up with a solution. That's because they can't, though. That, that's they what I'm saying, they though. So that. by All getting get rid of it, it's regardless it. whether or not there's something wrong with the, the law or something in there that they don't believe in. It's the fact that once you get rid of it, then all of a sudden you have stupid assholes sitting in the doorway going, are you about to have an abortion? No, you shouldn't have an abortion. You should give it up for adoption and just getting in their faces and being complete dicks about it. I know who's going to be. That sucks, but you're still allowed to be a dick. Like you're just allowed, unless that's the thing about the private property No, this is a little different. (laughs) It's not. As long as you don't touch this person who gives a shit. Like the only thing that I have a problem with is if the clinic's like, look, you're disturbing people. Get off of this premise. You have to kind of respect that. So I would see that coming up a lot. Yeah. You know what I could see? But uh, if, if they're not allowed to touch them, I can see them just creating a wall of people to stop them from going to the clinic at all. Mm-hmm. They're being nonviolent. Mm-hmm. They're not touching anybody. Yeah, but you're also on private property. So if they're like, look, you have to leave. Hey, they, that's their First Amendment rights. They have the right to do it. Not on my property. If they overturn that's it. That's kind of like saying you have the right to come in here and just blast us for something, and we can't do anything about them coming into the apartment. You know what I'm saying? Like It's like, no, get the fuck out. You can scream at my door if you'd yeah. like. And well, see, here, here's the, the thing. Noise. The law, it's not about on the premises. It's about off-premises. They have to be that far away. Yeah. And it's to prevent them from doing stuff like that. So then the, the girls can, so then they can at least get in the parking lot and mm-hmm. get to the facility. Mm-hmm. Like these people will literally just create a wall of people to stop them. Yeah. And I mean, that's one of the things they talk about. I'm like in the past, you know, they've built blockades and done all this, like Eric's saying, you know, and that's part of the reason yeah, why there was Massachusetts one time, passed the law. I think it was in Kansas. They were trying to get cop cars in there to pretty much wall off them from walling off the girls going in there <laughs> and people laid in front of the cop cars. Mm-hmm. Like these people do not think rationally. The only thing that they think is stop these people at any cost. Mm-hmm. And eventually it leads to doctors being killed and all kinds of other crazy shit. I'll tell you what, if people want to hear a little bit more about this, I'll give a shout out to a, a fellow podcast of um, our daily outrage um, uh, with Michael and Allie. Allie, she does this in Arkansas. They go to the clinics where they always have the abortion protesters out there and stuff. And she, you know, she's, I mean, she kind of fights against that kind of stuff. And she talks about it on their podcast quite a bit. So, I mean, it's, it's, it's interesting. I mean, she kind of tells some of the horror stories, you know, the way the people act oh, and everything. I can't imagine. So, um, another one, I looked this up right before uh, we went back on with this. Um, this was a victory, I guess. This is one good thing they did. Riley versus California and um, United States versus Warry. It's um, basically the same thing. It's uh, the court, like usually like if the cops pull you over or something and they arrest you, you know, you, they don't need a warrant to check you. You know, if they get you on suspicion or whatever, they can check you. But they didn't have anything in there where they could get your phone and actually go through your phone and, you know, look at email and stuff. Like they didn't have to get a warrant for that. So um, I think it was worried, took them to court over this. And um, so they actually did pass. I just looked this up. A 9-0 vote where police cannot search your phones anymore without getting a warrant. Mm, so, that's good. I guess that was an issue before that they had. So, hey, one for fucking freedom and rights, <laughs> you know, <laughs> victory. Um, that's a good one. You know who that doesn't help? Uh, that doesn't help Nicholas uh, Wig, who's 26, lives in uh, Minnesota, uh, who recently robbed a gentleman. The Wigger. Yeah, he, uh, uh, a Minnesota man, they don't identify him, but he went into his house and he found that the uh, cash and other items were missing and his, uh, his front door was unlocked. 
but upon like going around his uh, his house and kind of checking everything out, he noticed that the computer was on, Uh-oh. and that the accused burglar's Facebook profile was on the computer. <laughs> And so he promptly called the cops. The cops picked up Nicholas Wig, and uh, now he's being uh, booked on charges for burglary. <laughs> See, if he would have just used his phone, he would have been fine. <laughs> right. What a dumbass. Ugh. Yeah, it's not going to help you out there, but if you just get pulled over, cops can't look at your shit. Damn ridiculous. I think in the most important case, I think, um, of the ones that were recently heard that they got come down is uh, Sibelius versus Hobby Lobby, and also... Um, Constoga Wood Specialty Court versus Sabilis. There's both of those, of course, are um, cases that deal with the question of whether business owners have the right to um, object, you know, giving birth control under the new health care law to, um, you know, based on religious grounds. And and um, this one's a scary one, I think, because just based on some of the past, you know, outcomes from this court. And this is one of those two where if they overturn that, you know, if they can use religious reasons to say, well, we don't want to give you this based on religious, then that kind of also goes to down the path of, um, you know, like gay rights. You know how like they say now, like, you know, a baker doesn't want to fucking bake a cake for a gay wedding, and now they have to do it. Yeah. But, you know, if you go along this, they can just say, hey, religion, you know, my religion says we can stone the gays, so therefore I'm not going to bake them a fucking cake. I mean, it really could go down a bad path. So that one's one to look out for. See, you... This is the problem when it comes to the freedom of religion thing is that it it shouldn't trump freedom from a person. A person wanting to do what they want to do, which is take birth control. And have sex. Yeah. But it's not all about that. I don't don't care. It's not all about that, but their issue is the sex thing. True. Their their issue is basically a slut shame. Like, their their entire issue is... Like, I saw saw a cartoon on this... uh, or it was like a newscaster talking to a woman, and it was like, "You're taking birth control. Is it because you have like a debilitating mental problem? Not a mental problem, a debilitating medical problem with something that you need to regulate hormones with?" She's like, "No," and he's like, "Oh, is it because you're putting off pregnancy with your husband, you know, before you're more financially secure?" And she's like, "No." And he's like, "Well, what is it?" And she's like, "I enjoy sex," <laughs> and he's like, "Well, that means that people might think you're a uh uh," and, and she's like, "A healthy person? <laughs> like what?" Because it's, yeah, it's it's what do you expect him to say? You're a slut. Mm-hmm. That's what Rush Limbaugh would say. But that is, but that's the uh, a company they don't have the right to infringe their religious beliefs. Like freedom of religion doesn't mean that you get to infringe on other people with your religion. That's what I don't understand. Like that's not even a conversation that's going on. That's why I don't understand this. Is that with all the arguments, including people that are on our side, they don't bring up that argument. They don't talk about how the freedom of religion does not mean you have the freedom to impose your religion on other people, which is exactly what they're doing. Would you Would you let me to go ahead and uh, break down a criticism of our side of things? Go ahead. I've got one. Go for it, bud. We, we're no different as far as our tactics. We're all about just shutting the other side up. Like, we're, we don't really try to just... It's kind of like this. It's like when people talk about, like, I'm a Democrat, so I'm obviously an Obama supporter... You know what I'm saying? Like, we're always... It seems it's the same reason why I don't like to blend philosophy with uh, supporting a candidate. Because it's it would be like saying, Obama's not bought. Like, you basically make this claim now that I'm going to defend Obama because he's not bought, because he's on my side of things, instead of just criticizing the fact that he's a bought politician. Because he's a bought politician. 
You so essentially what you're saying is that we played the same game. Yeah, very just much so. Just a different Dude, version. I, okay, so I saw this article, and the title of this article is um, Anthropologists Discover That Texas Has Been Mass Graving uh, Migrants. Oh, I saw that. And I was like, what the fuck? So I click on this article. My first thought that that headline said was, the state of Texas, in other words, the enforcing government, probably yeah. Border Patrol, is mass graving people. It's it's a singular company. It's a funeral home company, and they are this they are mass graving people, but it's not the state of Texas. It's a company it's in a Texas. It's a company in Texas. But that's not what they care about. What they care about is making sure that a red state looks like fucking crazy. Well, is saying? it a company that is paid by the state of Texas? I don't know how funeral homes make their money, so I couldn't really attest to I that mean, or not, but it doesn't matter. But everybody does. Even so-called legitimate news will put a salacious headline that's fuck a, yeah because they want to, but they want I mean, they want you to they want you to do the same reaction i had what the fuck yeah right and then you click on the article and you read their shit and you see their advertisements shake your head oh texas but the, the, my problem with that is you know i'm tired of that kind of shit happening on the media that i used to like because you know as far as i'm concerned the reason that i hold to those philosophies the reason that i am a liberal as far as my political stance goes is because i agree with the philosophy i could give two shits less about obama i don't care about him he's a fucking politician he's no different than any of them they're all paid they're all bought he says some shit to you to make you feel like he's on your side and then he goes about his fucking day just yeah. like bush just like any other conservative you know so like when we talk about like politicians like you can't trust any of them. That's I'm, I'm aware of that. That's why like when when Republicans bash a candidate, I don't give a shit. Like I know he's an asshole. So is all of your candidates because you're given assholes as selections. So you know when we talk about philosophy, like when we talk about the the religion thing, you know why it's not being brought up? Because it's no longer about your philosophy. It's no longer about what you believe. It's about making the other side look like shit. That's all it is. It's all about you're fucking stupid. It's just an insult to them. That's all it really is. It's not a philosophical debate. It's not something that comes down to any... Like, that's why it's, it's so crazy when you like look at like Facebook posts and stuff over politicians. <laughs> like They'll talk about an issue, and like the comment should be about this issue with something. But since it's Republican and Democrat, it always comes down to abortion. Like No matter what the topic is, in the comments, people are fucking retarded, and they just it just whittles down to a point. And it's weird to me. I'm like, that's such a, a weird cognitive dissonance, because you'd think it'd be all about the candidate smearing. You're, I was going to say, but you're, it comes down to philosophy. you're reading different comments than me. Usually it turns into how Obama's a socialist yeah. communist who's you know, taking us down and from within with his Muslim brotherhood. And those are cherry-picked, <laughs> though, because they're no. fucking hilarious. No, that's usually the route but, they go eventually. But you know what I'm saying? Like, it's, it's amazing to me how often people really, like, they hold really, really staunch philosophies that they don't really think about, which is funny. But then, obviously, they're applied to the candidate. You know what I mean? Yeah. Obviously, Obama has my interests at heart. No, he doesn't. Yeah. Bush didn't either. That's what I say. When you're down to two selections, you know, it's that which one is probably going to do the least amount of damage. <laughs> To, to me, it usually seems that like the progressive candidates usually do less damage. They all do. But, but uh, that's anyway. Back to the point of you know the the religious stuff and the philosophy. That's why that doesn't really come up. That's why that doesn't happen, because your media sources are only concerned with making the op, the opposing side look bad. That's really it. They don't care about that. Does philosophy. make them look bad. That makes them look like they want to oppose their religion onto other people. I know, but that's not what the discussion is. 
And see, that's not how people think either. But that's exactly what it is. And that's not is. how the media does it, as far as that goes. And that, and honestly, the other thing you should think about is some people don't feel like that's negative. I know that people don't think that's negative. That's why there's people fighting, saying that they shouldn't have to pay for it. Oh, that well, that part is more. See, that's the other thing too. That may not even be a religious thing. That may just be like shit. That will make no, it more it's expensive. No, Hobby Lobby, which is a religious run organization. Sure. But no, I mean, they pretty much come straight out and they're saying it's. I mean, that's what I know, the, but the I'm case saying that is. It's, really yeah, they're not even saying, saying hey, it's, the Pope is really awesome. They're so saying that the government the is forcing them really to awesome. pay, which is an infringement on their r- religious freedom. This sounds they, to me like they just don't want to pay for something and when they don't to get out of it. They don't understand that it's not that. It's that you don't have the right to tell people this is the mandate by the government. You don't have the right to tell people what to do with their medical coverage. See, you don't. I, I mean, know. I'm just saying that to me, the only reason they're fighting over this is because it costs them more. But then, like if that weren't, no, it say, doesn't. Let's say it costs them zero dollars off that. It, it does not, not cost, cost them more. more. It's already it's it's provided. I mean, it's already mandated. It's provided within it. It's if, not going to. If, if they dropped that, would it won't co- rates it'll, go down? No, it'll. They'll say the same. It's a mandated thing. It's mandatory. Yeah, they have it's to, just specifically like your, that they don't want checkups. to pay for that. Yeah. You know what's messed up though, but like if let's say they said, okay, yeah, you guys win, Hobby Lobby, you win. You don't have to. Like I said, then they could start discriminating against gays, transgender, whatever for that. But hell, dude, any fucking business owner can just say, hey, I'm a Christian scientist. I don't believe in medicine, so you can't cover any of my people. You know what I mean? And they could really fucking, you could have some psychopaths. It could really go down the wrong route. And then like Eric's saying, it's still, it's not a freedom. Of religion in all cases. A lot of times, like in this case, it's more of a freedom from religion. Religion is trying to restrict people's rights and their, you know, opportunity to get the coverage they need. And yeah. not all women use it for birth control. I mean, women use it for a bevy of different things. Yeah. And, and it, you know what, though? I'm going to reiterate. Who gives a shit if they do use it for birth control? Who well, cares? If, like, it doesn't matter. I really want to have sex without having kids. It matters to them because it's a, it's a they don't believe it in their religious I faction. See, that's... I know, that, dude. Religion. This is fucking. just like uh, the, the conversation <laughs> with uh, you know about the the Redskins and the patent. Like people are saying, oh, the patent office is making them change their name. No, that's not at all. The patent uh, uh, office is saying, look, you cannot make money off of hate speech. Sorry. That's yeah. that's all they're saying. They're not saying that you can't do it. They're saying, look, you can go ahead, be be a hateful, bigoted, fucking organization. That's fine. Go ahead, do that. You just can't make money off of it. Yep. Yeah, you don't have the rights to do it. So yeah, other people I mean, it's, can... It's not like people have this thing like, oh, this is political correctness gone mad. They're terrible. They got to change it. No, they're not saying that at all. They're saying that you don't have the right to use hate speech as a moniker for making money. Yeah, I mean... That's it, all they're saying. As I say, it's in their law, and they've had cases and Yeah, there's before. other cases that they've had uh, that don't that were not part of the Redskins. There's other things that they have shot down and said, no, you can't have a patent with that. Because it is deemed hate speech. I can't remember the exact term that they used, but uh, it's to where it was like a negative impact on society. So it's the same thing. It's saying, look, you you can go ahead and be religious. That's fine. You just don't have the right to infringe your religion on other people legally. A little positive news, and this might be sort of breaking, but not really breaking for us. Tyson Chandler is going to be a Maverick, from what I'm getting. That is breaking news for us and us only. For (laughs) for people who don't watch basketball, fans of Dallas Mavericks (laughs) basketball. Dude, he's part of a championship team, and I have to admit, like I'm not really a big sports fan, but I'm a big bandwagoner. And watching them win the title against Mm -hmm. the Heat in Miami was one of the greatest sports moments I've had ever. Yes. Did you watch that game? Yes. 
Were you thinking to yourself, I'm going to masturbate so hard after this? No. no. Me either. Me either. I was not thinking that at all. Mm. On your mark, get set. We're riding on the internet. Cyberspace set free. Hello, virtual reality. Interactive appetite. Searching for a website. A window to the world. Got to get online. Take a spin. Now you're in with the techno set. You're going surfing on the internet. I just had to add that to the end. I'll do that why. next time. I was going to cut that down, but I don't think I can. <laughs> nope. Please don't. It's fucking fantastic. So I did a little dig and I found a couple more sites for you guys might want to check these out or listeners as well. Uh, the first site is called onlythebreast.com. And I know what you're thinking. Oh, another fucking porn site. I was thinking chicken, actually, because I'm kind of hungry. Right or, now. or chicken. Or chicken. Yeah, that's a good one. Or, yes, a chicken like, site. You're abreast to something? There, okay. Is that what? No. No? It's, oh. What this side is, to. is there are um, the women out there that have the children, but they are, their titties don't produce enough milk for the children is to drink. Is this a side for a wet nurse? So what this is, is women who can produce ample breast milk will produce it and bottle it up, and they sell it on the internet to women who cannot produce it. This would be a wet nurse. Now- that part of it is a little weird, but, I mean, understandable. But the problem with a site like this is when you have an open market is things can go wrong real quick. So <laughs> men love to get on there and buy oh, uh, the no. breast milk for their own personal use. And um, I have a couple comments that were left about uh, people that were excited about their purchase. And uh, I think you'll find these interesting. So uh, John wrote, I am writing about Nature's Sleep Aid, a wonderful woman from Michigan. We had several emails, and I decided to buy from her because I felt comfortable with her. I purchased 25 four-ounce bags, and the package arrived within two days, and she followed all the packaging directions and contents were intact. Her milk is rich and creamy with a great smooth taste. I will be buying from her again. So you're going to get on there, Boggs, and get you some milk? Have you ever had human milk? Uh, No. I have. It's not as good as you think it'd be. I don't think it would be good. Uh, I, I mean, according to him, it's it sounds pretty great to well, me. I don't know. Well, hers it's is actually honestly it's creamy. really is really healthy for that's you. That's a but pretty it convincing uh, review really there. I think so. And then this one's when my, a, when my ex-wife was pregnant, I had some, and it was just really bad, dude. It was awful. You suckled at the teat, huh? I did, in fact. I did, in fact. I don't know why I'm telling the story right now, but it was. <laughs> <laughs> it was not as good as I thought it'd be. I was like, oh, yeah, oh, my so God, this is fucking nasty. Brad, Andrew, and all them get something else to hover over your head for decades so to come. So explain like to that. us the process. So what are you doing? You're lying in bed, and she just got through uh, <laughs> breastfeeding your daughter, and you're like, I'm next. Hit me up with I'm that. hungry. Let me get a shot. So I'm hungry and thirsty. Walk, walk me through this conversation. Walk through the conversation? Yeah. I sucked her tit. You just, I just reached you just over there. I it. fucking took it. It's probably why we got divorced. Um... But uh, uh, that's not right. No, it was probably your reaction because you went in for it and yeah. you're like, ugh. What the like, fuck? This is disgusting. Fucking dick that came out of me. You better love it. No, that didn't happen. No. Actually, I got slapped, I believe. <laughs> Can't remember. I'm not really sure what happened after that. <laughs> but you're right, though. That means she clocked you over the head. Probably. <laughs> but you're right. It is supposed to be extremely, it is extremely good healthy for, you. for and, Obviously, it's supposed to be And that's what Jeff you. said because he said that um, I found the site searching for breast milk to buy for human consumption. To some, it may seem odd, but it's been the best thing for my health. And if I could afford it, I would stop drinking dairy altogether. I now have a local supplier. I've met her and her husband 
uh, several times, and the transaction is strictly business. <laughs> I love how he throws that wow. in. <laughs> um, the site has been great in finding reputable people to buy from. For skeptics, yes, those people think that uh, you should not be allowed to buy or sell breast milk, but the majority of those looking to buy and sell are reputable people. Just remember to do your homework. Okay, so, so on, the, on the idea of you not being able to sell stuff like that, um, mm-hmm. are you allowed to sell your kidneys? I don't know, but he says that um, it's one of the greatest liquids on the planet for babies, the sick, the elderly, and for nutritional benefits. <laughs> so if you guys are hankering for some, some Tata milk... Jump on onlythebreast.com, <laughs> but please leave a, a leave a comment afterwards so I can read it and laugh at your ass. Uh, the other site I found, totally different from the uh, breast site. This one's called pra- passiveaggressivenotes.com, and um, what this is is like you know, like you guys live in an apartment. Let's say your fucking neighbor's making too much noise or something. You go put a note on the door, like shut the fuck up. You'll put whatever on their snarky, or maybe someone will put a note on your car if you're at school on your locker or something, and people. They're too bunch of pussies to really confront you, but they can get real tough in like a note or something. So what people have done is they've taken notes that they've received and they've taken pictures of them and post them on this site. And there's some pretty interesting ones. Um, I'll just give you a couple examples. Um, this one, a kid in the UK, evidently he lives in like a student housing. And uh, someone put this note on his door. It says, yo dipshits, turn the light off. One, it shines straight into my room and wakes me up. Two, it releases CO2. You're killing all of us with your climate change for no fucking reason. Love and kisses. <laughs> Most of them I couldn't really find good ones because they're really visual and you have to really see them. This was the most fucking weird one I saw. And this was, um, some guy got this note on his apartment door. A fellow Texan. It doesn't say where, though, unfortunately. Austin. But, um... I love that they don't like address the guy's name because evidently they don't know it to just put the number of his apartment. So it says, dear number seven, my wife wants me to tell you to tell your wife to stop dressing sexy because it's offensive or something. Sorry, but your wife is hot. (laughs) And I I would appreciate it if she didn't bend to my wife's crazy jealousy. Um, Then he goes on a little bit further. And then at the bottom, he says, P.S., if your if your wife really wants to piss off my, my wife, tell her to wear that hot pink thing with the strings and the matching pinstriped uh, shoes. Then he goes down there a little further. He says, "P.P.S. I'm not creepy. I swear. I just appreciate a fine-looking woman when I see one." Wow. So, how would you All like right. to come home to that note? I mean, it would be. I mean, creepy. if I came home to that note, it'd be about Eric, and I'd be like, uh, "Where was Eric with this pink thing, and why was he doing that?" And I'm gonna just hide that, in my room forever. That's a good point. I guess it would be referring to Eric if he came home to it. Yeah, it would not be. Really. Well, weird. that's if the note was for him. That's oh, true. Oh yeah, uh, that's true. I don't really have any. Oh, pink. I just thought of a bad thing. Oh, oh god oh, damn boy. it! I'm I'm not saying it. You can share. Just change. No, I am not sharing. Just change names. <laughs> just change the name from me to someone else. And no, no. Is it about blogs? No. Is it about no, you? No, no. Then you can tell. Just don't say the name, no, dude. I'm, I'm not saying. Oh, you're going to go grab a beer. God damn it. Fucking destroying this for the listeners. Are we, are we at least going to get the story after the show? Yes. Okay. Okay, good. Uh-huh. You guys don't get to hear it. This is, this is, this is probably about my ex or something. Oh, no, he said. Well, maybe. It Who probably, knows? It probably is because he's a dick like that. All right. So uh, So anyway, that's a, there's a lot that's of a really. That's a great site. I might, I might check that There's some out. really funny ones. Like I said, most of them are visual. Like people will put a sign up saying don't do something in a break room then someone will put a smart ass sign underneath it and then it just keeps going and but you got to see it though it's worth checking out I like i said 
Um, I can't stress to you enough how, how awesome it would be to have a break room at work. What you need to do is order you up a couple pints of fucking breast milk and then sit in front of the computer and uh, read these while you're drinking. <laughs> then you can have a spit take and blow breast milk all over your fucking computer screen when you read a real funny one. I don't know. I'm just no. fucking riffing, waiting for Eric to get us fucking was, beer. Um, <laughs> mm, that was good. I like that tie-in. You tied both websites together. Damn right I did. I'm fucking genius, trooper, <laughs> professional. Professional. God damn it. Is there any <laughs> is there any news stories that we need to go over or should we just say fuck this whole show? Oh, let's just say fuck this whole show. I just got a text from a friend who needs <gasps> me to go pick him up. So I gotta go. Is he wearing fucking uh pin songs and he's got a bottle sing of, your song of first? No, I gotta go. God what? damn it. If I don't go get it, he lives like in the, fucking Azel, so, so the go. people don't get to hear this story and they don't get to hear the song that you just played beautifully for us yeah. a minute ago. Yeah. What a dick. They'll hear it next week. Oh, my God. This is a fucking disaster. It's not like we don't do this weekly. This is the worst ending to a show <laughs> ever. Right? Anticlimactic. <laughs> like, hey, Jesus. guys, we're going to promise all these things. We Oh, it's like Bush. <laughs> oh, singer. I'll throw out another promise. We may have a big guest next week, but I don't know, man. It's up you in there right fat? now. What? <laughs> Sorry. Fuck you, dude. <laughs> I hate you. All right, make sure to go check out our friends at Digital Frustrations. I don't know if we did this last year or not. Um, I don't know. Neon Glow Boys. Mm, the Glow Boys. We the Gamer. Am I missing anybody? God damn, dude. We got to stop hanging out with people to do podcasts. I know. We have a lot of them. I think that's Fuck it. Fuck you, Brad. Whoa. Oh. Whoa. Whoa. Anyway, thanks again to Julia Sweeney for jumping on with us. Be sure to go to her website, juliasweeney.com. You know, buy her books. Check out her flicks and stuff. Love you, Brad. Send her an email. She'll probably respond. Tell her how great she is. And tell you heard it on our show. And we're the best. And you're the worst. And then hand her a big old thing of breast milk. I'm going to go dream about your mama tonight.